Hi, thanks for joining me today. Uh, could you tell me your name? Clive Cavan. Brilliant. And um, could you tell me how you got interested in astrology? Uh, yes, my my brother-in-law was Patrick Curry, and uh, he did my chart for me. This must have been in the 1970s. And uh, I was struck by how accurate it was. Um, but I thought he'd asked my sister for information. So I decided to um, investigate a little further. So I bought Margaret Hearn's textbook on astrology and uh, learned how to cast a chart and bought an ephemeris and things like that. And uh, tried to find out what it was. And my theory was that it was rubbish and I was a con and I was going to prove it wrong. But it turned out not to be wrong, to be rather good, actually. And uh, uh, I sort of had to uh, eat my words at the end of it. So you were skeptical originally? Very so, yeah. Okay. Is that naturally an inclination for you? Well, I'm an electronics engineer. Uh, so things that don't have obvious connections, I'm skeptical of. I'm skeptical of quite a lot of things, actually. I used to be skeptical of people on what I considered fad diets like vegetarianism and so on then, but I've had to eat my words yet again. And I went vegetarian about in the early 70s. Okay, so this is maybe a recurring theme for you in different areas? Yeah. I get told things at one point when I'm younger, and I find them to be not exactly what I was told later on in life. Brilliant. So you start studying astrology in the 1970s, and you get very serious about it. Uh, yeah. Do you? What do you do? Do you take classes? Do you attend local astrology meetings? Or um, Well, initially, um, I went to the, what was it called? The faculty's uh, intermediate class and uh, to, to get a certificate. And I did that for about a year or so. I can't remember all the, t- all the time. Um, the tutor was called Martin Freeman, and he was quite a nice chap and taught us quite a lot about astrology. And I was fascinated by it. I wasn't very good at interpretation, but at least I understood the calculations. And um, I began to get the idea about interpretation as time went on. Brilliant. So you're studying basically like modern astrology or like psychological astrology in some sense? In those days, it was, um, well, what we would call modern astrology, it was very Jungian based. Mm. When it came, Martin was very good at the technical stuff uh, like mathematics and the celestial sphere and trying to explain those sort of things. And the other, go- the other class was run by Liz Green. And she wasn't very good at that, but very good at interpretation. Mm. And she gave at least one class uh, to us on how to interpretation, how to interpret on Jungian principles. So this is she's teaching at the the faculty, and this is maybe before the Center for Psychological Astrology. Oh yes, this was seventy four or seventy five. Okay, brilliant. Uh, so yeah, you're studying modern psychological astrology, and then eventually, at some point, when did you get interested in older forms of astrology? Um, it's difficult to say exactly when, but Martin Freeman sold me a little book, which was uh, Lily's Merlini, Merlini Anglici Ephemeris. Never get that quite right. They're not a Latin speaker, naturally. And uh, it was four years, the very last years of his Ephemeris band together. And they were quite interesting. This was from 1670. 74 to 1677, I think, inclusive. And um, I remember paying £100 for the book because it's pretty rare, probably not even in the BM. And I still have it. It's very interesting reading. And uh, it was when Lily was quite old and he'd left his little, um, how can I put it, his little wise thoughts towards the end. Mm. And uh, I've published those uh, via... I forget names very well, a lot, sorry. I gave them to... That's okay. Did you... Yeah, I can't... Anyway, she put them on the web. Lee Lee Lehman. Okay, I gave them to Lee Lehman and she put them on the web. Okay. And um, so they were out there for everyone. A few years later, I was always looking for older books because I wasn't very... I wasn't very convinced about Jungian theories. Mm. I'm still not, actually. 
Um, and uh, so I was looking for older books on astrology, and there was some that were easily found, but not very many. Um, the chap who ran Watkins rang me up one day, and he said, I've got a very old textbook for you here. It's in terrible condition, but it's yours for £7 if you want it. So I went straight in, gave him the £7. And what I'd had was a copy of the Doctrine of Nativities by John Gabry. Wow. It was in a, a shoebox. It was in pieces. And uh, Mike Edwards, who's a friend of mine, who was a friend of mine at the time, and I went through it and worked out which pages were missing and which pages were there. He went to the BM and got photocopies of the two or three missing pages that we had. And we had copies then, when we photocopied it all, of Doctrine of Nativities, which I still maintain is one of the best textbooks on natal astrology. It's an extraordinary book, and I have a copy here. And when was it published? Um, I'll tell you that. Sixteen fifty eight. Wow. Okay. Sixteen fifty eight. So, and you have a copy of the actual book here. Uh, the the original one that I have is still at home somewhere. I can't quite find it, but I have a copy here that was given to me um, here. And uh, as you can see, it's a book three hundred and fifty odd years old. Wow. And it's still extraordinarily relevant today. It's written in English, or well, most of it's written in English. Mm -hmm. Some of it's in Greek and some of it's in Latin, but uh, it doesn't really detract from the, from the book's content. Right. So was it your skeptical nature that, that led you to wanting to, to look into older forms of astrology in some sense, that you were skeptical about contemporary astrology and looking for something more? I was looking for something from the past, something more deeper than these, uh, shall we say, rather trivial analyses of people's charts. Mm. I thought there might be something else. Added to which, at the Astrological Lodge of London, which I joined by then, um, there were people there who talked about older forms of astrology. Um, there was Derek Appleby who talked about horary, which I found very interesting, and Geoffrey Cornelius who talked about all sorts of things. He was more into the philosophy of astrology, I think, than actual prediction and so on. But nevertheless, I knew he had older textbooks and so on, and I found this fascinating. I wanted to know what was in all this, these older textbooks. And they were thin on the ground. You couldn't go out and buy them. Right. They weren't, there weren't like contemporary versions of them, but occasionally you would just find little fragments of some of these older texts like you did in a shoebox? Yeah. Well, that was, that was a, a stroke of luck. Um, Lily had been, how can I say, rewritten by a Victorian astrologer who'd replaced all Lily's charts with his own and his own interpretations. Mm. But he'd used Lily's book as the basis for uh, his version, and he called it Lily's Astrology, probably to add more weight. But it wasn't Lily's Astrology by then. And he messed up a lot of the information that was contained in the original, which I didn't know at the time, but we now know. What's the name of that author again? Is that Zabkiel? No, no, that was William Sargent. I don't know. I okay. forget. Sure. Um, it's the Newcastle Publishing Edition anyway, mm -hmm. who did that, uh, that book. I don't think it's available anymore, but there are a load of copies floating around. Mm. And it's not what Lily wrote, sure. not at all. So there's like later versions maybe, but just Lily didn't exist and wasn't available to other readers at that time. No, no. And so what happened here is you got a copy of uh, Gadbury and you realize that there's other older books from that time period from the 17th century that might still be around. Oh, yeah. That was uh, getting finding Gadbury was uh, an eye-opener to put it mildly, we were always told that you shouldn't predict certain things. You shouldn't tell people when they're going to die. You shouldn't tell, you, you shouldn't tell that astrology compels. Well, I don't think it does compel, but nevertheless, there's arguments for saying that forces in astrology are not easily repelled, shall I say, <laughs> in many cases. And here was an author who laid it out and said, said it like it was. You know, he goes through Mercury and he goes through Mercury through the houses, Mercury through the signs. Then he starts 
arguments for a bright understanding and arguments for a dull or stupid understanding. And it's there in text. And I tell you what, he seems to be right. Mm. He does seem to be right. And there, he deals to every planet like that. He goes into detail. So the astrology that you're reading in these older books from the 17th century represented something that was radically different than what you were used to up to that point? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. We were always told to tone it down. We were told to not to do, not to get into prediction, not to. I was once told off, when I'd learned a little, for using what they termed a horary technique, which wasn't a horary technique. It was a. It was an, uh, an older technique when interpreting a chart at the lodge. Mm. And um, I had, there was a chart, was he a saint or a sinner? And I can't remember who it was now, but he was definitely a sinner. He was a serial murderer, I believe. And uh, I looked at the chart and I sort of, with what I'd learned from, well, we didn't have Lily at the time. We had Gabri. And with what I'd learned from Gabri, I said he was most decidedly, um, uh, not a nice person at all, and he had all sorts of problems. And I elicited, went through them, and I was told by uh, I forget the the, the, the uh, person in charge of the lodge at the time that I shouldn't use horary techniques mm. on natal charts. Right. So there was something almost bad or wrong with that approach. It was sort mm. of taboo in some ways. It, it did seem to be yes. Mm. Anyway. Uh, I'd heard of Lily because Olivia Barclay used to be around from time to time and we knew she had a copy. And I think Geoffrey Cornelius had Charles Carter's copy of Lily. He had a second edition. Olivia Barclay had two thirds of a first edition. And uh, my edition, as you can, well, you will see, is missing a few pages which have been written in by hand afterwards. Um, and we knew about uh, William Lilly, and I was always trying to trace down these books. Uh, I had a girlfriend at the time who lived down in Cheltenham, and she rang me up. She said, there's a bookstore around here, and the guy's got old astrology books. Mm. So I got in the car, went straight down there, put a checkbook in my in my jacket and a pen, off we went. And we went down there, and he produced a copy of Christian astrology, which I'd never seen before. Wow. And, in fact, this copy here. This copy here. Wow. And um, I opened it and I had a look at it and I said, is it for sale? He said, well, no. He said, besides, if I was to sell it, it would have to be at least 200 pounds. <laughs> That's all? So, um, I mean, we're, is we're that, talking is that... in the late 70s. Okay. So or about a... late 79, 1980, something like that. That's a fair bet. That was a lot of money then. Sure. That was a considerable amount of money. It's like about... Thousand, two thousand pounds now. Yeah. Okay. Um, we've had rampant inflation at sure. in that time, and um, I got out my checkbook and wrote him a check for two hundred pounds, and I handed him the check. And I said, "Well, do you want to sell it?" And he looked at the check, and he looked at me, and he looked at the book, and he took the check, and I had the book. Wow. So, and um, and it's been restored a little bit. I've had a new clasp put on it. Well, the clasp is original, but a new piece of leather. Um, had a lot of work done to it, but nevertheless, that's as I got it, and it's staying in that condition as far as I can see. And it's a beautiful book. And when I went to it with it, went took it to the lodge, everyone wanted to have a look. And what year was it published again? Sixteen forty-seven. Okay, and this is the first. This is the first edition. Here we go. As you can see, and just down there. 1647. Brilliant. Wow. Uh, so, and, this, and it's in rough condition, as you, <laughs> you can see. It's not, it's a bit moth eaten and so on. But it's mostly there. Here's one of the handwritten parts where they've obviously lost pages. Wow. So, this is, I mean, this is a book that's three or four centuries old. Yeah. Uh, and this is the oldest, I think it's often credited as being the oldest English language. Textbook on astrology. It is, it is. He writes in here at some place, I believe. Um, it may not be in this. It isn't in this copy because this has lost some pages over the years. Oh no! Correctly, writers. 
No, it's missing from this particular copy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it had essentially everything that Lily has in. It's, it was complete. Right. So you suddenly are one of, what, like three people that has a full copy of Lily at that point in the 1980s? Well... Uh, we knew that Jeffrey Cornelius had one because the rumor has that Charter, uh, Charles Carter had either given it to him or it got to him via a lady in the lodge called Mavis, the second name I'm afraid I've forgotten. Mm. Um, we know that Olivia Barclay had some of one. Mm. Um, I had a complete set. And another astrologer in the lodge, Katrina Mundell, had had a copy but was not complete. Complete copies of William Lilly were virtually impossible to find. We also knew that the AA library had a second edition. Um, and we got another one from somewhere. Anyway, around about 1984, um, Katrina Mundell and I decided that, well, we wanted to publish Gabri to start with. Okay. But there was, uh, Olivia was very active trying to uh, get people to learn more about horary astrology. Mm-hmm. And horary astrology is essentially what Lily's on about. I mean, he does other things as well, but that's he's the father of, shall we say, modern horary astrology. And all the rules given in Christian astrology pretty much apply. Right. He's, uh, he starts with horary and then goes to natal instead of the opposite? Yeah. He starts with the meaning of the planets. The book one is the meaning of the planets and the signs and so on. Mm-hmm. Then book two is how to judge uh, any number of questions. In other words, horary, and then book three is about nativities. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Gabri, the whole book is about natal, and then nativities, the doctrine of nativities, is a little sec. I mean, the doctrine of horary questions is a little bit, a little bit at the end. It's not a. It's not essentially about horary, right? Um, and so, what year did you acquire that edition of Lily? Right, must be around about 1980, plus or minus a year. Okay. I can't remember exactly, but must have been about there. So you spent the next few years studying it then? Yeah, yeah, I got into it. It was it was fascinating stuff. But the Gadbury was still good. You know, it mm. was they were different things. Plus there was this interest, increase in interest in horary, with Derek Appleby and Olivia Barclay being the main proponents. Okay. Uh, Olivia was the proponent of uh, Lily and Eric Appleby... Uh, suggested we get um, Ivy Goldstein Jacobson's book on horary astrology, mm. which I have at home. It's an excellent book. She must have read Lily too, because a lot of it seems to be lifted from Lily. Mm. But in her own words, I mean, the rules are there and so on. Sure. So by the time 1984 rolls around, you said that you got together with uh, Katrina? Katrina and I, Katrina had been left a little money and I had a couple of thousand pounds. Mm. And we decided that we had to do something. And we decided to do Lily because almost all of it is in English. There are Latin phrases and so on, but nothing daunting. But whereas uh, in Gabri, there are pages and pages of stuff in Latin and stuff in Greek as well. Mm-hmm. So it's that would have had to be translated and it would have had to be, you would have had to reset the whole book essentially. And that's a considerable amount of money. Sure. And we didn't have very much money. Right. And uh, so we had three or four thousand, well, we had about 6,000 pounds between us. And we decided to try and do Lily. And we did it as a facsimile to try and save money. The problem was to get a set of pages, a complete set of pages in photocopied form that we could clean up. And we ended up with six copies uh, one of which, Olivia's, we actually had to break the spine in order to uh, get it flat enough on the photocopy to get the pages. Because although hers was only the first two books, nevertheless, the condition was remarkable. It was very good. Um, some of the pages were missing. Some of the bits and pieces were damaged. But nevertheless, we got it all. And we went through all the other books to fill in all the bad pages that we had and so on. In fact, we went through a photocopying craze and uh, photocopied everything and then cut pages together uh, in order to get complete pages. Um, I hesitate to say, but I have to admit, there are four pages out of sequence in our final book, but it's in the doctrine of nativities and it doesn't 
it's in the nativity section and it no one's pulled us up on it so far (laughs) but uh, it was quite a job Uh, we had people from the lodge we were paying people so much a page for cleaning it up we bought tipex to the point where i think they were wondering what we were doing Mm. with it tipex and tipex diluent and fine camel hair brushes and so on to clean up the pages and rotaring pens to redo some of the bad uh, print. Mm. And finally, we had a complete set of pages and sorted it all out. Um, I got a a positive uh, slide of Lily's portrait from the Ashmolean. And I went to a colour printer and he printed the frontispiece, this colour plate, which is quite a good job. And uh, we, Katrina mainly, arranged with the printers, found printers, Wheaton's down in Somerset somewhere. And um, we went down there with all our stuff and uh, tried to negotiate, and it was a huge amount of money. I think it was about £12,000, which in the 1980s was more than I earned in a year. Right. So it was about 18 months' salary. <laughs> right. um, in order to raise money, I sold advance copies. Okay. And, you know, pieces of paper which says, you pay us £26 now, and when the book is printed, we'll send you out a copy. Mm. And I raised about £2,500 that way. So about a fifth of what you needed or so. But we were paying people for cleaning the pages, and the bill for that was nearly 3000 as I recall. Mm. But I might be a bit wrong. It was not far off 3000 And... um, Yes, so we had a complete set of pages. We went down to them, and uh, they gave us a deal, which I thought was rather good. The book is not printed in black and white because we couldn't get coloured paper to mimic the coloration of old paper. We printed it in sepia, uh, so it's not a black print. We had to have white paper. Otherwise, it would have been a specialist paper run, and the cost would have been too much. Mm. But I insisted that the books were sewn, uh, so that they would last at least as long as the originals. Mm. And uh, they're sewn in 16, 16 pages at a time. And I think it's 916 pages long, something like that. We got Geoffrey um, Cornelius to write uh, an astrological perspective from a modern point of view about it. Mm-hmm. And we got uh, Patrick Curry to write a historical perspective, because by then he'd been doing a lot of work on the history of astrology. So he, we wrote those. We didn't put them in the front as forwards because I thought it would detract from the book being like an original. Mm-hmm. So I called it an afterword. God help me for that one. <laughs> and I put it at the back. I suppose a lot of people never even get there and never get to read it, but it's all there in the back. And then um, Eric Morse, who was a Lodge member at the time, who was very hot on fixed stars, uh, had researched all the fixed stars Lily used, and we gave a little piece of paper which we stuck in at the end uh, about the fixed stars. And we also included Lily's um, birth chart, because it's not in the book. We included Lily's birth chart from Gabri's collection. And uh, and that was it. And so we told them to go ahead, and they were very generous to us. They gave us 90 days to pay after the books were delivered, mm. which was incredibly trusting because we'd have gone under if they hadn't. And um, we waited until it was delivered. It was some time, actually. How many copies did you order? Uh, 2,000 copies plus 100 in paper. And we were going to make special presentation editions for people who'd helped and things like that. It didn't quite work out like that, but nevertheless, I had the prototype, um, which is this one here. This is a a hand-bound leather edition, uh, the final thing, and uh, with a colour portrait of William Lilly. Wow. Courtesy of the Ashmolean Museum. Very nice of them. And, And there it is, 1647. Brilliant. Um, the page I'm most proud of is this one, to the student in astrology. Mm. 
Now, in the first edition, um, the page goes on about... We couldn't get a complete page from any of the editions. That's the first problem. But the first edition, the end of it is going on about God bless Lord Fairfax and let him, you know, do well in his fight against the parliament, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the royalists and things like that. But the problem is that he had to write that in order to get the book printed. It was in the middle of the English Civil War. Mm. By 1659, those restrictions didn't apply. And he rewrote it. Most of it is still the same, but the end bit is completely different. And uh, he, so if you look very carefully at this page, um, you see down to there, it is one style of print. Mm. And then the bottom is another style of print, and it's actually two separate pages put together. So you merged both editions? Yeah. Brilliant. It's first edition front, first top half, second edition finish. Okay. Without all the dedication to, to Lord Fairfax and and so on and so forth. And I can't remember all the details because I've got an archive at home with all this stuff. So what year was this published? 1985? That's right, yes. Okay. Uh, what do you remember? Like the Was there a day or a month? Um, it went to the printers in April 1985. Mm -hmm. And we had it, we had the first copies, we had the copies come back all printed by... It was the AA, AA conference, which was in September in those, that year, um, August or September, I think September. And we just got them then. And I remember when the lorry arrived with the copies, weighed eight tons. Wow. Nothing quite makes you want to sell books, like receiving enough books to fill your living room. <laughs> Is that where you stored them? Uh, no, um, I had a garage. We put down pallets and we stored them on the pallets in stacks about five feet high. And um, there were several, um, maybe it wasn't eight tons, maybe it was only three or four, but it was a lot. Sure. And I had a couple of friends of mine and we had to, they were rather struck by the fact that we didn't have a pallet truck. They, you know, a forklift. Right. And um, <laughs> we had to unload them by, you know, one at a time. And we had to, they backed it right up to the garage where we were putting them in and we put the pallets down there and we unloaded the books onto them and that was it. And I looked at it when the truck disappeared and I thought, my God, I think we've just wasted 12,000 quid. <laughs> it's okay. really frightening. All right. So you have um, 2,000 copies of this book. And you, it comes out just in time for the AA conference. Yeah. And you go to the Astrological Association conference in order to, now you've got to sell 2,000 copies of this book that you've just plunged huge amounts of money and time and effort into over the past, what, how, how long was the project to put it together? Like a couple of years? No, about a year. A year. We okay. worked really quite hard. It was a lot of work and a lot of anger and tears involved as well. And People were being very, very strange about it all. How many people were involved? Like who was the core group if you got six copy, or six unique original copies together? That's right, yeah. We had six and we had the photocopies. And then Katrina's flat was at the time just around in Bloomsbury, just around the corner from the Art Workers Guild where the lodge met at the time. And um, she had people come around there to uh, clean up pages. And I was running around trying to sell advanced copies and so on to keep paying all the bills. And um, it was it was several months, five or six months to get to that point where we had a complete set of pages. It was a, quite a job. So Olivia Barclay is one of the people that worked with you to get this together, right? She contributed Olivia Barclay um, didn't exactly work with us, but she was very glad that we did it. And she was very encouraging. And she lent us a copy of her, she lent us her book mm -hmm. so that we could work on it. And she was photocopying her book and selling these photocopies, I think for about 25 pounds, uh, which is probably what it cost to photocopy. Oh, she'd been doing that for a few years up to yeah, that point. Yeah, it was like um, you'd have a page like that, and that was one, and then that would be the next page and so on. Okay. And she'd edited it 
into what she thought people needed to know. Mm. Just cut it down to keep it within re- realistic bounds. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't complete. Um, they were rough copies to work with, and they were for her students. Okay. And she'd been doing that, what, since the early 1980s? I think so, yes. I th- I'm, I'm not entirely sure. But um, she'd always had a few people, and she'd always been interested in astrology. And she was, she was a woman who lived her astrology. I remember when she she had a bad car accident and uh, someone drove into her and smashed her car up, but she walked away and she said, uh, thank you, Uranus, for letting me get away with it. <laughs> she thought she had a bad transit and she knew that something bad was going to happen and she was very grateful that she didn't get killed on that transit. Right. Brilliant. Uh, so she uh, was really into horror and really seemed to push that traditional revival of horary based on Lily, oh, yes. right? Yeah, but it was very difficult because there were no copies of Lily around. Mm. I think we were lucky because we were trying to do more traditional books, but we didn't know quite where, which way to go. It was very handy that Olivia was there pushing it at the same time. Mm. Um, we did come from different places. It was coincidence, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we put ours out, there was a, a market there of people who were willing to pay the money because it's not a small book. It's not like paperbacks. People were prepared to pay five, six, seven, even 10 or 12 pounds for a paperback. Mm-hmm. But they bought paying uh, 35 pounds for a 900-page sewn book mm-hmm. because that's a lot of money, even though pro rata, you're getting a much better deal. Right. Um, and she, so she, you said you had to break the spine of her copy of Lily. So that's a pretty big sacrifice. I guess yeah. she was willing well, we to. Had it, we had it restored. We had it all rebound and put back together and re, re, you know, we sent it back to her in perfect condition. Okay. I mean, you know, we don't just destroy books. Sure. sure. <laughs> They're too precious. Yeah. It sounded very traumatic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you go to the AA conference, you have all these books. Uh, was it successful? Was it a hit? Or what happened at that point? Well, Chester Kemp was in charge of the bookstore at that point, and he was selling it. And we had, we'd had the 100 copies, before we went to the binders, we had 100 copies, which we sent. This was the prototype. Mm. This is the one we were told this would be looked like, but in fact, they worked out slightly different. Um, and we had about 10 of these by then. Okay. And we decided they were going to be numbered so that there's only going to be 100. And uh, so we took the 10 along and we presented number one to the Astrological Association for their library. And number two went to the, uh, to the lodge for their library. And after that, people could buy them. Mm. But they were £165 and so not many people bought them. So when people looked at the the plastic bound copy of Lily, um, they they said, gosh, £35, that's a lot of money. And Chester would point to the other one up there and he said, um, well, that's £165, this one's a bargain. Right. <laughs> but no, we sold, I think we gave away to, to subscribers, that was. There was about 30, 40 subscribers there. Mm. And we set up a little table beside Chester's camp thing with boxes of these books and we gave them away to the subscribers who came along with their bit of paper Mm. and um, we had a list and they got their copies like that okay and that sold it saved us the postage at least Uh, then um, the rest of them we posted out I think it was around about 180 copies we sold in advance okay that's a Decent bit, but it's not a lot. It's not a lot. To- well, it's £26 each, so 26 times 180. Right. It paid for the workers to clean up and stuff like that. So, okay. Yeah, I never said this was big big finance. This is this is always on a shoestring. Sure. And um, yes, it went down quite well. I think we sold 30 or 40 copies at the AA conference. And... Um, then we sold quite a few copies at the lodge as well. And gradually the word got round and caught on. And Olivia used to buy copies from us, which we gave her a good discount on so she could sell them on to her pupils. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Donald Weiser from Samuel Weiser Incorporated made an agreement with us to buy 250 copies uh, as soon as they were available. And 250 copies at 1.4 kilograms each is quite a lot. And I had a mini metro at the time. And we had boxes of books all wrapped up uh, for surface mail mm. because air mail was out of the question. Um, the cost would have been more than the discount we were giving him and so on. So we'd have made a loss on the books. So we sent the um, books off to Donald Weiser in New York and uh, with his discount, and it was a lot of money. It was about 7,000 quid or something like that. And uh, he sent us a check after about 60 days, and that helped us to pay the printers. Mm. And I even had to borrow a copy for, uh, a couple of thousand pounds from my mother in order to <laughs> finally settle the bill at the printers after 90 days. So that's how close to the edge we were. And you were able to eventually meet that deadline? Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and so this is the, it became known as the Regulus edition of William Lilly of Christian Astrology, and that's because the company was Regulus. Yes. I, I was at the lodge one day, and I was we were talking about what we should, we should form a company for this because there were two of us. And um, there was an old astrologer there, an old lady, and I've forgotten her name, and it's I haven't seen her since. She said, call it after a good fixed star. It'll bring you fortune. Mm. So I said, how about Regulus? And she said, fine, that's brilliant. So Regulus Publishing it was. Brilliant. And how old were you at that point? What, what your, What's your birth data? Do you share it? Uh, yeah, sure. I was 14th of March, 1949, 4.40am, uh, Bromley in Kent. Okay. She'll give you about two and a half degrees uh, Aquarius ascendant. Mm. And um, I, I'm, not, I'm not one of these suspicious people that think someone's going to use my data against me. Right. Um, and I'm 70 now, so I'm sort of doing all right, really. Sure. So in the 80s, I would have been 85. So I'd have been... Oh, sorry, brain's gone dead. <laughs> uh, you're in your mid-30s? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, about 36 years old. Okay. Um, we started it when I was 35, so that's probably something very symbolic, which I can't quite figure now. Uh, but Was there an element of almost like rebelliousness in it, or, uh, in that you're sort no, of promoting? No, I, I've always had this theory, and I do it in electronics as well. If people want to learn, I'll help them. As so many people keep information to themselves and don't tell other people. And I think essentially that's wrong. Um, and I, I've always tried to spread any knowledge that I have. And I thought that me having the one copy, it's very nice for me and a few of my friends, but it's not much help to other people. Mm. And I thought it would be very good to publish this and get it out there. And I hoped it would make a difference. I hope people would see that there's more to, than to astrology than just Jung or Freud or any of the others. And um, and there is, it's it's there, and it's a very good book. It's an excellent book. So that was your underlying, almost like philosophical motivation that drove you to, to do this? Oh, yeah. It's, it, it was, it, there's no money in it. I mean, after 20, Regulus was alive for 20 years until it all had to be shut down. And I can't remember, I think, if I made 100 pounds a year. Right. <laughs> That would be uh, an exaggeration, I think. But there was no money in it for us, but we did what we did because we wanted to get the knowledge out there. There's other things we did as well. This is not the only book. Uh, I was always very surprised that no one did primary directions, which I've always thought was a very interesting predictive tool, which has fallen out of use. Um, so we republished Safarial's um, Directional Astrology. And uh, we only put, printed 500 copies of that, and I haven't sold that. I've only sold about 200. But it's an important book. It gives you all the math for primary directions. Mm. Um, there is uh, the uh, Anima Astrologia is another book we published, which was... <coughs> Sorry about that. Uh, Anima Astrolog Astrologia was a book by Card Jerome Cardin of Milan and... Uh, Bonatus, translated by William Lilly 
um, and published by him in 1677, 1678. Mm. There was a Victorian edition, and I bought a load of old books in astrology about astrology from one of the early Zadkiels. And I can't remember uh, what his name was, but he was one of the Zadkiels, and I bought his library for £400, which is a lot of money. Um, And this was one of them, and I'd read it. And I was most struck by the fact that one of the Bonatti aphorisms was, and I'm doing this from memory, I should have bought a copy of the book with me, (laughs) that uh, clothes put on when the moon is in the first face of Scorpio um, were apt to be torn and damaged. Mm. And I bought a new pair of trousers um, from Savoy Taylor's Guild, funnily enough, and as I went out of the door, pieces of brass in the door caught on them and tore them. And I thought, that is very interesting. And I went home and uh, I looked I looked up the ephemeris to see what was going on. And the moon was in the first face of Scorpio. Mm. So I thought, okay, well, that's rather good. I must, this is another book to publish. Mm-hmm. And uh, we published, we sold, printed thousands of copies of that. Um, probably only got a couple of hundred left now. Okay. But it's really, really good stuff. Do you know what year that was? 87, 88. Okay. So once, like that. once Lily came out, you did start looking for and did publish other books? Yeah, because we were going to get money back. Mm. And we wanted to do publish other stuff. Right. Um, were there any other books that you ended up publishing? We only managed the three. I wanted to publish Gadbury, but... The problem was translation. I didn't know people. Now there are more people around. It's easy to say we should have done it at the time. Mm. But the fact remains that there's very few people around that I knew who knew about astrology, who knew who who could speak Greek or well, ancient Greek as well, more to the point, mm. or Latin. And it's very easy to translate things straight from one thing to another, but it's You've got to get the general gist of it. It's not enough to know a language. There are different meanings and different things which don't translate straight. Um, And I'm sure Latin is the same, Latin into English and Greek into English. So it would need someone who was an astrologer who knew Latin and Greek Mm. to translate it. And it would have been a nice thing to do. I'm sure someone's done it by now, but not me this time. Sure. Um, And that's another one that you have a first edition of? Yeah, there's, well, there's only around the one edition. This okay. one here. Um, this is uh, in bad condition, but it's complete. Um, some of the pages have been repaired around the edges and so on. And but it's a very good book. This is this section, Midheaven on the uh, to the Sun and his aspects. Oh, these are directions here. If you go back to here, we go. It deals with um, the various different uh, signs and so on, right. what they rule and so on. The glyphs are really beautiful. Yes, they're really nice. It would have been, they would have been made for this at the time. Mm. I would have thought. So, did you see after the publication of the Regulus edition of Lily, this allowed for a? proliferation and a revival of interest where lots of astrologers were suddenly reading Lily again. Did you notice any changes start to take place in the community? Well, in the lodge, people were plowing through it and and learning a lot from it. And Mm. it, uh, older techniques started to be revived and uh, it certainly made a difference there. What I didn't know was that it made a big difference in America. Mm. And when I went to America, uh, in the late 90s to work in New York. I met people there who desperately wanted to see me and I had never found this before um, because they'd read Lily and uh, they were impressed. They, they they liked the book. And when Rob Hand came to talk to the Lodge, I said, oh, do you, uh, have you got a copy of Christian Astrology? Oh, God, yes, he said, absolutely. I carry it with me all the time. It's very, very interesting. Mm. And it, I... I think it changed Rob Pan's attitude to astrology. I don't know for sure, but it seemed like it. Yeah, I mean, I think Rob Hand later said that 
being exposed to Lily, that started to show him the value of studying older forms of astrology so that later mm. in 1992 and 93, he would be more open to going back and translating older medieval and um, Hellenistic works on astrology. Yes, I thought he started Project Hindsight, didn't he, I think? Yeah, in 1992 right. with well, I Robert. should have subscribed, but I didn't have enough money at the time. Sure. <laughs> you were still trying to make it back from everything you plunged into those books? Well, we yes. we, we I did get my money, money out of it eventually, but there wasn't much left after it. It sure. was... There, there was. We never made much money. That's all I can say. Sure. Um, and so, but I, the books are out there, right? And I think I did my thing. Yeah, your mission, what you set out to do, was accomplished. But pretty much, there's many more books I desperately wanted to do the Gabri, but I, I couldn't afford. I couldn't afford to do it. Sure. Uh, well, it definitely paved the way for a lot else, and like you said, it did help to. Uh, pave the road for something like Project Hindsight that was started just a little under a decade later with Robert Hand and Robert Schmidt and Robert Zoller. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now what it's almost been, it's been more than 30 years since the publication of the book. And there are astrologers that practice and follow and emulate Lily's methods. There's been, there's now like two or three generations of astrologers that have been practicing that approach to horary now. Uh, I mean, are you aware of the effect that it's had on the community in that sense? I, I, not really, actually. Um, I live in London. I do travel a bit, but I tend to travel for reasons to do with electronics rather than with uh, with uh, astrology. I haven't been to the AA conference for a few years, um, so I, I need to get there. But it's not like it used to be when it was £25 or something to go <laughs> for the weekend. Yeah. Now it's a lot of money. And uh, and I've always meant to go to one of the big American conferences as well, but I should get there. I'm a life member of um, NCGR, mm. and uh, yes, and I have friends out there. I mean, I know that uh, Lee Lehman and Margaret um, read Lily, and uh, she went round telling everyone to buy it and so on. And I sent her copies. I know that. I think she bought about a hundred copies for me over the years. Yeah, I mean, there's that whole gener first generation of astrologers. Many of them were initially students of Olivia's, but then went on to become prominent astrologers like Lee Lehman and Deborah Holding and John mm. John Frawley uh, and many other mm. astrologers like that. Well, it's interesting because uh, at the Lodge recently, we've had people coming back and teaching us about horary astrology, and they are trying to push it to... They, they find very convoluted ways of interpreting things, whereas there are much simpler interpretations. And if you just look at Lily, he shows you how to get there pretty damn quick. Mm. And sure, there are techniques that they're using. You can bring out more information, but I've always regarded horary as uh, answering the question, is X good or bad? The answer, good. Then you got the answer. Why it's good or bad wasn't the question, mm. if you see what I mean. I mean, you can, there are levels of subtlety in it all. I know that. Um, but I, I think it's quite interesting that younger astrologers are coming back to it now. And there is a continuing interest in horary, mm -hmm. which was only a handful of us doing years ago. Though the, Olivia Barclay's book was pretty damn good. She references Lily all the time, mm. but she did invent a few techniques of her own, though none of them spring to mind. And uh, one of my horrors is in there as well. So I'm in, quite... In her book? Yeah. Okay. So the one about I'm trying to buy a 1937 Bentley, and that, that was me. Okay. <laughs> I didn't manage to get it in the end, but I got another one. Okay. So... Uh, um, yeah, and with... Olivia and and all of them, uh, she passed away, of course. Do you know when that was? It was in like the early 90s? I can't remember exactly when. My memory for times and dates and people's names is terrible. Sure. Olivia I knew because we used to meet up regularly. We used to wander along the cliffs and, you know, um, I used to visit her from time to time. And, but, and she was a lovely lady. 
Man, she 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 was a true astrologer, really. She, I'm not. I I can interpret bits and pieces, but I didn't. I came to it sort of lateish, if you see what I mean. Mm. And uh, I've always thought it's my job to enable better astrologers to be better at it, um, to give them information. And if I can do that, then I'm doing my bit. Did you notice that there was a lot of, um, sometimes when people started reading Lily, sometimes there were debates of interpretation or different ways that people interpreted the text? Uh, yeah. And there was this whole thing about mutual reception mm. and whether the planets could move. And everyone quoted Lily on this. And if you go through it, there is nothing that suggests that. I do not understand. Lily says that planets in mutual reception um, are cannot do injury to each other. He says it's, you know, he regards it as a good thing, but he doesn't, as far as I can make out in the text, unless he wrote something else that I'm not aware of, and I don't think so, um, there is nothing about moving planets to the sign where they came from, but where the sign where they're at home. If you, I don't regard it as that sort of dignity. Mm. And there was a lot of this technique being used a few years ago in order to try and solve charts, you know, get an answer to a horary questions and so on. And I don't think that's a legitimate technique. It's certainly not from Lily. It's from someone's mind, but there you go. So sometimes there were unexpected results that came out of people interpreting and trying to wrestle with the text? Yes, I think so. It is a, a big book. Mm. And I don't know if anyone's actually read everything all the way through. Um, and there, because of the language used, there is room for interpretation. Both the print, which is difficult to read if you haven't read it before, but it has to be said you get used to it quite quickly. Uh, and the language is a bit flowery. So you can, you can see there's difficulties in it, but you actually get quite used to it. It doesn't phase me at all anymore. I just pick up the... The, the book and I can read it without thinking about it. Mm. But uh, it is a strange typeface, but it was the one at the time, you see. There's nothing you can do about that. Right. It has those strange S's and things like that. Well, they're, yeah, long S's. Uh, they look a bit like S, but they're not the same. Uh, an F starts at the baseline and goes up like that. So it's like that or like that, looking at it from the other point of view. <laughs> Um, a long S, it goes below the baseline. It's like that. Um, they're not usually used in the beginning of words. They use a small S. But in, uh, in the middle of words, they tend to use them. So it looks like signifieth. Right. <laughs> Was that just a stylistic thing? Yes, it's a, it's a type style. Okay. If you look at Garamond, for example, the W is literally two Vs like that with their crossover in the middle which I personally quite like. I like typefaces. Right. <laughs> so uh, in terms of different interpretations of the texts and people started to engage with it at this point, one of the other debates that came up was about the considerations before judgment, where it seemed like some of the students of Olivia um, and other people that were reading Lily in the early 90s and late 80s, they saw that there were considerations before judgment, but that Lily would still judge horary charts even that contained them. And there was a debate about what that meant and different interpretations came out of it. Were you following some of those debates? No, I, not really. Um, I, I was aware that people were debating these sort of things because mm. uh, it would occur at the lodge occasionally. Mm. Um, some things were quite obvious. If you've got void moon, and I know people will be uh, will take me to task on this, but things really go on, as Lily puts it. In other words, a void moon generally means nothing will come of it. It's not always the case, but it usually is the case. And um, I remember a chart coming up at the lodge, and it was someone who was obviously learning a uh, horary. And a horary has got a way of teaching you as it goes. It's something I've noticed. When you first start horary, you get all the strictures, all the things to tell you you shouldn't do this. Too early degree rising, too late degree rising, the moon void, either the ascendant or the moon in the via combust, and things like this. And 
and void void moons or void planets sometimes if they're critical. And uh, it seems to me that astrology has a way of teaching people how to use it. And people bring these things up at the lodge and you get a chart put up on the lodge and you say, oh, well, yes, of course. It's teaching you this is what it means. Void moons, nothing will come of it. You, it's too early to say. You've got half a degree on the ascendant, you know. You don't, we don't know all the information yet. Things will come about. Things will change. And you can go through all of these things. If it's the late degrees, if you're 27 years old and you've got 27 degrees rising, or if the person inquired about is 27, or any other number for that matter, then, or if their person is a very old person, you've got a very late degree rising, then you can sort of say, well, okay, let's go with that. But most, more often than not, it means the time for judgment is past. You know, and if you're start, you're starting out. I'm sure you will get these charts. They will come. Sure. Um, so those are debates that were happening that you were kind of interested in, but not paying attention to because you'd already been through this years earlier in terms of reading through the text and coming to your own understanding of it. Yeah, I, I learned basically. I learned Lily and Ivy Goldstein Jacobson, um, who was recommended by. Uh, Derek, mm. he was a, a disciple of hers, and she was certainly wrote an extremely good textbook. And sometimes I will open that to help me solve problems with charts. But um, yes, it, it, it's I've lost my track now. So even though <laughs> sorry, I have to wipe no, that right. out. Even though you were um, interested and focused on Lily, and you thought it was valuable to revive some of these older texts and and spread them around, you still seem very open to other contemporary forms of astrology. It's not that you're rejecting them necessarily. Oh, no. Yeah. No. If you want a psychological approach, be my guest. Mm -hmm. I mean, when Saturn comes around to its birthplace in your chart, then, you know, you're going to feel the wrath of Saturn. It happens. Anyone who's 29 years old and say they didn't have a difficult year is telling porkies. It, it happens. And 58, for that matter, and I remember that only too well. It's uh, these things, there's, there's room for lots of different interpretations in astrology. Um, there are books I've tried to get my hands on. Apparently, so, um, I forget the name of the book now, but there's one which is very good for electional astrology. And I keep on just missing a copy. I remember I went to bid for, for one once when it came up for auction. And it went for about £1,200 or something like that. And I was bidding for someone because she didn't want to go uh, because she was uh, she was too nervous about it. So I bid and got it for her at the uh, the right price. And the agreement was I would be allowed to photocopy it. And uh, immediately she got it. She wrote back on that. So I never got, a, got that one. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so you published three books with Regulus. Uh, publishers, and then the company was dissolved at some point, right? It had to be dissolved, yes. I got divorced and my wife was making life tough and uh, she'd bought some of the shares from one of the other uh, owner, from Katrina, and uh, she was trying to block everything. So the easiest way was just to wind it all up. Mm. And what year was that? Like late 90s or early 2000s? That would have been about 2001. Okay. Um, what projects are there that you wish that you could have done uh, that you weren't able to get to during the course of that whole company and project? Oh, well, the Gabri. I desperately wanted to do Gabri. It is one of the best textbooks, I think, ever written on natal astrology. It is on the nail. Some of his interpretations are so spot on. If you look at your own chart and look at Gabri's interpretations, you think, bloody hell. <laughs> that would have convinced me all those years ago back in the early 70s. Mm. That would have, I would have been a, a, a devotee right from day one. And that's the text that was difficult though, because he wrote large part, parts of it in Greek and Latin. That's right, yeah. And we have a copy here. Um, I'll see if I can find a Latin part for your Greek part. Uh, but it's not easy, I mean. Doctrine activities, right? It's about revolutions. We're not interested in that. 
I don't think I'm going to find one. That's all right. Um, but there a, are two or three pages which are written. It's beautiful seeing all the little annotations. Oh, yeah. Well, astrologers uh, write marginal notes here. Right. And that's not, that's like later owners? Well, well, yeah, somewhat to point. I mean, it's written in ink um, with a steel nib looking at it, so it's probably Victorian writers. Mm. Judgments, but yes. Fourth with, house. Yeah. Was that something you ran into with Lily as well in terms of like annotations in the books? Judgments belong to the third house. I can't remember all these things here. Um, I haven't testimonies. Wait a second. Testimonies of poverty. Here we go. This is an idea. When it comes to the particular planet, the particular house, mm. he goes into what shows if they're rich or poor, what shows if they're bright or stupid, um, arguments of an admirable fortune. There we go. Mm. This is such a good book. Um, and I desperately wanted to do it. Here we go. This is reprinted. How every man, though not acquainted with astrology, may know that his complexion by his dreams. And it's um, it's a, two pages of poetry. Mm. Wow. <laughs> not what you find in modern. Here we go. Arguments of a good understanding. The native's understanding. Mercury in Gemini or Virgo gives a good understanding. A native that so hath it have him shall be of admirable judgment, and so on. Arguments for a good understanding. Arguments for a dull and stupid understanding. Okay. So he deals with this stuff, and it's really on the nail. Mm. He's really good. And I desperately wanted to do that. And I think other people have done resets and so on, but it's not quite right. Mm. And it really needs to be done properly. Okay. So maybe that's something that a pro project you hope somebody will pick up in the not too distant future. It needs to be done. It needs to be bound properly and it needs to be available so that people in two and 300 years time have that information. Right. Do you have any advice if anybody takes on that project from your experience in doing Lily? Um, if anyone wants to approach me for advice, I'll gladly give it to them. But um, you have to structure the cost and so on so that you will come out at least ahead. Mm -hmm. And you've got to be realistic about the cost of distribution, the cost of advertising and everything else. It's more money than you'd think of. And the cost of running a company, just the cost of that is a lot of money. So maybe it's one of those things where you have to be more dedicated to the, the ideal and the goal rather mm -hmm. than the sort of rewards that might happen. Oh, yeah. If you do this, you're not going to make a fortune, but you will make people understand what's going on in the world, hopefully. Brilliant. All right. Um, I, I think that's a good uh, ending point. My last thing, so you you have many different hats, but you're primarily an audio engineer, and that's that's like your job that you did all of those years, and this was a side thing in some sense, right? That's right, yeah. Mercury trineuranus, good for astrology, good for electronics. Right. Uh, and so you've worked with a lot of like big name people in, in terms of your job as an audio engineer? Uh, yes, I, I guess so. Okay. Um, so, yeah, okay. I guess my final question then is just um, if you could go back and do it over again, starting in the early 1980s before you did the Regulus edition, is there anything that you would have done differently? Like knowing what you know now in terms of how it turned out and the effect that it's had on many different I, I, astrologers? It is, I think I've made a, probably a bigger effect than I realized I was going to have, uh, at the time. Right. Um, I was more concerned with people at the lodge and astrologers in Britain, but we ended up selling these things all over the world. Um, we sent them to India and Japan and six or seven hundred to America at least. Yeah, somebody just gave me a Japanese translation of Lily the other day, and I can't help but think that uh, the existence of that translation has something to do with you publishing the Regulus edition in 1985 and repopularizing that text. It must be. I didn't know it had been translated into Japanese. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I guess so. It's, um, 
I'm glad. I'm very happy for that. And I'm happy for the people who do the translations and uh, and I hope it makes a difference. Yeah. Well, thank you a lot for your, your contribution to the astrological tradition and the community, because uh, I think it has made a big difference. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you.